So continuing with the biting and stinging insects, we're actually gonna focus on the biting insects. We just covered Hymenoptera, which was really the stinging insects. Uh, we're gonna focus on the biting insects and then we're gonna get into some biting arthropods and some stinging um, arthropods towards the end of this, um, these lectures. We're gonna have a few of these on the biting and stinging because it's such a large section. Uh, my name is Sylvia Kenmere. This is the ACA series. And if you're following along in the IPM for the Urban Professional, we are in chapter 10 and we're starting on page 163, which is the biting flies or order diptera. And so again, if you think about that lecture when we were talking about the flies, there's a tremendous amount of diversity when it comes to the mouth parts of flies. And for the biting flies, they can either have a proboscis like a mosquito, which is, you know, a modified piercing sucking mouth part to draw blood, or they can be the pool feeders and pool like P-O-O-L, like swimming pool. And basically they cause um, a, they, what they do is they cut the skin and sometimes they have a, a modified mouth part to cut the skin. And then when the blood pools up, they feed on the blood, okay? And so those are the pool feeders that we might be dealing with. Now, these bites do not carry any venom but they can again cause um, a reaction from the victim. There can be an allergenic reaction. Uh, they can have secondary infection. And then certainly with the mosquitoes, there can be some disease implications. And so uh, again, this is an important group. Uh, you don't have to know a whole lot about every single one of these, but um, if you are following along, the book has enough information. You don't have to like spend a ton of time. And if this was the PHE, which is the public health entomologist exam, you would have to lot know a lot more about all of the diseases for mosquitoes. Really here, it's knowing uh, a few of the more common ones, and the focus really is on West Nile virus. It's really not on all the diseases we have out there, um, but we'll talk about that in a minute. All right, so let's get into the biting flies. So the first two that they talk about is the horse and the deer flies, okay? And these guys are blood feeders or pool feeders. Uh, they can be very serious pests of cattle, horses, and humans. Uh, the horse fly is a pretty good sized fly. It's a three quarter inch to an inch and a quarter in size. Um, they have clear or solid colored wings. And the deer fly uh, does commonly bite humans, uh, but they have these dark bands across the wings and their eyes have the, they're the most beautiful eyes. If you've never seen a horse fly or a deer fly rather, you should Google and look at these eyes. They're actually quite stunning. Um, they're strong flyers and uh, usually they breed in environmentally sensitive wetlands. Um, these two guys sometimes get compared and contrast, but you know, there's not a whole lot of um, compare, it's more of contrast, so just make sure you're familiar with those two guys. There's also um, some other strange flies that could be asked on the exam, and one of them is called noceums. And I know that we kind of use that term sometimes in, in pest management as kind of, well, there's, you know, we kind of use it when we're talking about delusionary parasitosis, which are invisible itches or, you know, mystery, mystery bugs, right? But noceums actually is used as a common name 
for these tiny biting midges. They're extremely small. They're one to two and a half millimeters. Uh, they have another common name. It's called punkies. And uh, these guys here um, are capable of transmitting viruses to, cat, uh, to cattle. Uh, they are sometimes given, uh, you know, the name of invisible bugs because you can't see them. And they're considered a nuisance pest, okay? But but we do we do have them, and um, they really are a real fly, or they are a midge. And so make sure that you're been, you're familiar with them. When we talk about mosquitoes and we talk about them, the fact that they are the deadliest animal, I mean, they are responsible for over 400,000 deaths of children and, you know, they are, they are a serious uh, problem. You don't really need to know uh, too much detail. A few things that you do need to know is that obviously they are, um, you know, there's a lot of diseases associated with various mosquitoes. Um, they serve, uh, some of those diseases include malaria, Zika, West Nile virus, chikungunya, and dengue. So those are things that are important. And then the group that they tend to focus on is the, um, mosquitoes that like standing water. And these are the family Cucillidae, okay? And these guys here are, are generally um, standing water mosquitoes. They lay their eggs directly into standing water. There are other mosquitoes that are floodwater mosquitoes. They lay their egg in dry ground. And then, you know, as far as the different types of eggs, you're not going to be responsible for that. So don't really go too crazy when it comes to the mosquitoes. You really want to look at more of making sure that you understand uh, that they have an aquatic um, stage of their life cycle and that they are responsible for um, vectoring diseases. And then spend a little time looking at West Nile virus. Really kind of look at uh, the disease cycle trans transmission there. Uh, there is, that is covered in the ACE manual, uh, but you can also go to the CDC website and just take a peek at West Nile virus because that could be something that you would be responsible for understanding. Um, because mosquitoes, you know, are, are an important pest. But, you know, when it comes to the ACE, uh, they're really, it's not the focus. Again, if you're doing PHE, that's where the focus is going to be. Uh, other flies that do bite are the midges, okay? And so we have a couple of midges. Sometimes they're mistaken for mosquitoes, okay? They, they have some similarities. Uh, but some of the differences uh, that we see is that mosquitoes have a proboscis, so they have a way to be able to pierce in the skin, and you can see that, where a midge does not have that, okay? So midges don't bite, uh, but the reason why they're included here in the biting flies is because they're confused with, with mosquitoes. So remember that compare and contrast. And so um, we're including the midges here not because we want you to recognize them as a biting fly, but because they're confused with a biting fly. And if you look at page 165, they also have crane flies here because sometimes crane flies or tapilidae are actually confused with mosquitoes. Um, so it's important that we recognize guys that are confused with the one that is a problem. And so take a look at that. Um, make sure that you can tell the difference between a midge and a mosquito, and then also a crane fly and a mosquito because they're confused with uh, mosquitoes. And, and that's really it for the biting flies. And so you don't have to know a lot of detail, but just there's a few of them here that maybe because 
you don't necessarily control them. You have to spend a little bit more time. Another insect that is of importance when it comes to disease transmission is fleas, okay? And so these guys, remember, they're the order Siphonoptera, okay? Uh, they are a small, flattened, wingless insect. Uh, they are external parasites of mammals, and 95% of them attack mammals. And there's a small percentage, about 5% of them will actually attack birds, in particular chickens. Um, fleas... The most common flea, know that it's the cat flea. Even if it's on a dog, even if it's on a possum, the cat flea is the most common indoor flea despite the name. Remember, common names aren't always great, okay? But that's the one that happens to be the most common. Know the life cycle of a flea. And here's what I want you to focus on. First of all, we know that they have complete or holometabolous metamorphosis, right? So they go from an egg a larva, a pupa, an adult. But what I also want you to know is where every life stage is found, okay? And so when we talk about the eggs, know that the eggs fall off the pet and hatch in, in that environment, okay? But they're not on the pet. Then you have the various larval states. Again, they're not on the pet. But what are the larvae feeding on? And what they're feeding on is debris and dried blood from the adult excrement that has fallen off the host. Then you have the pupa stage, right? So this is that dormant stage. And again, they know that the pupa is the silken cocoon that has debris attached to it, okay? And that in about one to two weeks, it will become an adult. And then last but not least, that adult stage, know that it is the only stage that lives on the animal or the pet or whoever it is, okay? And so that's the only stage. So that's really important when it comes to the flea questions is really knowing where each life stage can be found uh, because in management, we really have to know uh, where we're going to treat when it comes to fleas and knowing that the adults are the only stage that are found on the animal is important. Now, when we look at um, flea control, we know that, um, you know, again, there's the uh, insect growth regulators that help with the uh, larval and the egg stages. Um, we know that growth regulators don't work on the adult stage. Um, know that, that, you know, again, fleas are associated with uh, wildlife. And so if you are dealing with wild animals such as possums, which are like one of the worst flea animals out there, or raccoons or squirrels or feral cats, that, you know, once you solve that problem, uh, there could be flea treatment needed because fleas recognize uh, when the animals are dead, okay? Um, they they uh, sense that warm blood, the blood's not flowing, and they are immediately off that ship. I mean, as soon as that animal dies, the fleas are the first ones off that dead ship. And so, um, you know, really important when it comes to wildlife management is that we also um, take care of the potential fleas. There are medical importance associated with fleas, 
Um, not only, again, because it's using the mouth part can they cause irritation, they can cause blood loss. There, I mean, animals can die from anemia, from fleas, um, and also severe discomfort because it itches. Um, they're also associated with diseases such as bubonic plague and murine typhus, okay? Um, they're also the intermediate host for tapeworms when it comes to dogs and cats. They're in that cycle. And so be familiar with those life stages with fleas, know the diseases they're associated with, and then when it comes to control, know where all the life stages are and what you would do when it comes to control. Um, other things that might be covered are the IPM measures like vacuuming, washing bedding, all of these things um, are found in the MPMA field guide when it comes to management. So take a look at that. I think that will be helpful. The last group we're going to chat about today is going to be the hemipterans or the true bugs. And we have a few in this group. These are the true bugs that have piercing, sucking mouth parts. Um, they remember they are uh, the group that also has uh, insects that do that to plants where they um, suck the juices out of the plants. Uh, these guys, um, and that would be something like a box elder bug, right? Those are an occasional evader. Um, we're talking about the blood feeders here, okay? And so this is going to be the bed bugs, the bat bugs, the swallow bugs, the assassin bugs, and the cone nose bugs, okay? So there's um, five different ones that we need to be familiar with. Now, when it comes to bed bugs, uh, the book has some really good information, but I would also suggest reading your second source when it comes to bed bugs because bed bugs are an important pest to ace. And you, there isn't a lot of differentiation between the common bed bug and the tropical bed bug when it comes to ACE. So just be familiar that there are two different ones. Uh, there's also bat bugs and there's also swallow bugs. So there's a lot here that can be compared and contrast, like who, um, you know, what, how do you tell the difference between a bat bug and a bed bug? How do you tell the difference between a swallow bug? So make sure when you read those descriptions, you're able to read a description because there's no pictures on the exam and make sure that you would be able to tell where there's the differences. Okay. And now we're going to be focusing on, you know, how wide maybe the pronotum is, is there hairs on the pronotum? So that's why all that morphology becomes important because we have to be able to read, you know, listen, read the description and in our head envision what that looks like. Okay. And so those are the bed bug species that you need to be familiar with. Um, as far as morphology goes, um, again, just you want to make sure you know approximate size. So, you know, they're roughly 3 16th of an inch. Um, there is some differences between the males and the females. So that's a good compare and contrast. So what's the difference? You know, the female is more round um, as opposed to the males. Okay, so that's something that would might be helpful. And that they are blood-feeding external parasites, okay? Uh, the common bed bug prefers feeding on humans, okay? The tropical bed bug, um, which we're finding more and more in the U.S., you know, was first reported in Florida, but we have it in, in many places in the U.S. And that the poultry and the swallow bugs and the bat bugs are less common, but we have them, okay? And so that's something to think about. 
When it comes to, you know, the life stages, know, again, like the fleas, knowing who feeds on blood, who doesn't. So, you know, both adults and nymphs feed on blood. We know that there are five instars. I mean, it's a lot of time has been spent on, you know, all the different instars. So make sure you know they have five instars, right? Those are the, the nymphal stages, okay? And that, you know, you know, the female needs that blood meal to lay eggs. That's really important to her. Um, when it comes to the bites, you know, the reaction can be very different. And so we're looking at very generalized reactions here. They're highly irritating, uh, but not, of course, not to everybody. Some people have no reaction. Um, there is no evidence that bed bugs transmit disease to humans under normal circumstance. I recognize that there has been some possible association with Chagas disease or potential MRSA, but for the example, purposes, we're going to say that bed bugs do not, there is no evidence that show they transmit diseases. Um, so that's, you know, something that to be familiar with. Okay. Um, as far as management goes, there is a fair amount of, of potential questions that can be asked. And so you want to make sure that you're familiar with integrated approach to bed bug management. And so um, monitoring becomes very important here, um, understanding how the pitfall traps work. Um, when we get to the section, when we were talking about monitoring, we're gonna talk about pitfall traps, but making sure you understand how they work is helpful. You know, sanitation becomes important. Uh, encasements are also an important tool, the insecticides and the importance of understanding the modes of action and rotation. You know what, there are insects that are resistant to certain chemistries. And so knowing that um, can be helpful and that we also use heat and fumigation when it comes to control. And so a good place to sort of review these would be the MPMA website. They do have the bed bug BMPs or the best management practices. So that'll list them. Um, but, you know, you don't have to go into too much detail other than knowing, um, you know, a little bit about the monitoring, sanitation, and, and so forth. That will really help you when it comes to uh, bed bug management. All right. There's also the bat bugs. Okay. And so they're the same genus as the human bed bug. Uh, their hairs are longer uh, on the pronotum. And also that they um, are their their eyes. Um, the what it basically says is hairs are equal to or longer than the width of their eyes. Okay, sometimes we just make these descriptions when you're doing insect ID, and you have to kind of read it a few times to look at what they're asking you. Okay, and then they require their own special host to survive extended periods. So they can feed on on other hosts, but they prefer the bats. That's really um, what they prefer. Um, so that's um, the bat bugs. And then the bird bugs are the swallow bugs or the poultry bugs. Uh, again, they're the same family as the bed bugs. Again, they require their own special host to survive extended uh, periods of time, but they can uh, bite humans, okay? And so that's the swallow poultry bugs. The assassin bugs are a relative of the bed bugs, okay? And so uh, these guys are a fairly large bug. They're one to one and a half inches in length. They have this long cone-like appearance. Uh, so it's like this long cone nose uh, to their head and they have eyes on each side. 
uh, they are capable of delivering a very painful bite. Um, and because of that, they can actually be beneficial predators out there. But if they get a hold of, of somebody like a person or a, a lot of them will feed on on other um, pet, you know, insects or not, and they can also damage other animals, uh, they can deliver a pretty painful bite. Uh, one of the ones that that's out there is the conos bug, which is in the triatomes. Okay, that's the genus, and they are classified as an assassin bug, and so they feed exclusively on vertebrates, including people. They live outdoors and feed on wild animals, and these guys love wood rats. I mean, it provides a really good uh, blood feed for them. Then, the, you know, wood rats have or pack rats have, you know, these messy nests, and so it allows them to have places to hide, and so they're highly associated with wood rats. And some of them have adapted to living around structures and feeding on people and pets when they don't have their hosts, okay? Uh, they are associated with disease. And so, um, you know, a couple things. One, they are nocturnal and they might bite people when they're sleeping, okay? And the bites can occur on the face uh, usually exposed during bedtime, okay? And they're attracted to that CO2, very similar to bed bugs, right? And so this behavior has given them the common name of kissing bugs. And the disease that they're associated with is Chagas disease, okay? And we do have cases of Chagas disease in the United States. Um, it is not just this tropical disease. Um, we do have cases there. So you can take a look at the CDC website if um, cone nose bugs are bugs that you're dealing with and you can learn a little bit more about them. And uh, again, this is an important group. So, you know, just to kind of go back, Make sure you focus on a few of the flies. Again, you're not going to spend an incredible amount of time with them, even though mosquitoes are very important. Um, when it comes to ACE, uh, just being you know familiar with them is, is enough. Uh, make sure that you take a look at the fleas, understand where all those life stages are. Again, control measures for all these guys are important. And then you'll end with the hemipterans, which are the bug group, which is going to include the bed bugs, the bat bugs, um, the cone nose bugs, and you'll be all set.